The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. The Brandon Peters Show. And of course, we're still trucking along with. A week by weekend look at the movies released during the summer of that year. As always, along for the journey from Forbes, it's my dear friend, Scott Mendelson. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here yet again as we come to the near end of our journey. But is this week really a pleasure? Oh, no, this is going to be the worst episode of the series. Sorry, listeners. We're we're looking at August 6th through 8th, 1982. Now, the weekend we started with, we thought was, but this weekend, we have a challenger. We have a challenger. (laughs) The first week, the first weekend, though, we were fresh. It was our first episode. We're like, this is going to be the project. This one doesn't have that advantage. And also, I, I think, you know, at least two out of the three of the films are, whether they're better or worse, they're noticeably less entertaining. Yeah. I'll give, I'll give I mean, one of I enjoy. I enjoyed oh. the Corman horror flick, mm-hmm. and I kind of appreciated the the the, the, the stock racing one with yeah. Christopher Lee and whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is kind of interesting. Junkie you know, fun. Yeah. And Paradise was horribly offensive and problematic, but I you know, it is what it is. There was a certain ghoulish value in that. But at least two out of these three films, there's no one there. I think I admire more than I fully enjoy it and, and could find enjoyment in it. Two of these are trash. Yeah. Like straight up, right up front. Two of these are absolute trash. Here's where we're at. Remember so, oh, our sacrifice. If you, en- if you enjoy our sacrifice and talking and just shitting on movies you might like, why don't you think about donating to the Patreon? Please, God, donate so it was not in vain. There's, there's, I, I, one of these I spent two ninety nine on, and I also had to spend money on gas to go to the library and back for one of these. So, patreon.com slash Brandon Peters show. You can just drop a little in there and say, hey, it's going to be all right. Plus, you want to hear Scott and I talk about Porky's and the Sword and the Sorcerer at the end of this, so you'll want to do that. Patreon.com slash The Brandon Peters Show, or just Brandon Peters Show. You can also listen to the episodes right there, and on Sundays, they're all usually there for the week, so you don't have to wait for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Even I, I think one of the last times I put them up on a Saturday, but I'm in May right now. You're listening in August, so. Please give, you cheap bastards, you ungrateful heathens. It is only but money you have and pleasure that we provide. <laughs> to quote, really bad this week. To quote, to quote pieces, bastards! <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that movie. Or to quote my first viewing of Chopping Mall in 2020, is like, this is a movie about robots? Awesome. <laughs> Actually, uh, I saw that film for the first time on, on Shudder in, in summer 2020. I didn't mm-hmm. know it was about robots. You didn't know? Oh, okay. I figured it was just a slasher film about a bunch of young adults that get stuck in a mall and get hatcheted. Oh, so wow. I was, holy shit. I mean, I, I've told the story a few times, but this is the summer of 2020. So everything's in lockdown. And obviously there are no movies coming mm-hmm. to theaters. And really the only stuff we're getting on VOD, generally speaking, are a bunch of low budget, single location, grim, dark, can barely see what's going on. You know, uh, Haunted House, it's all about trauma horror movies. Mm-hmm. And individually, some of them are very good. But, you know, as a... a, a that when that's what's all that you're getting, it's it becomes very apparent. It's like, yeah, it's about trauma. That's nice. So we ended up going and you know really getting our money's worth with our Shutter subscription plug. So I don't have a free code to, to offer people. I don't. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sponsor us, Shutter, dear God. The guys um, who talked about four whole horror movies the entire time. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if Shudder's listening, if you sponsor this podcast, and you know, you could veto this because it's your podcast too, you can pick the worst horror movie on your site and we will talk about it for an episode. We will go one hour on it. Yes. Whatever you boss of Shudder, whoever that happens to be, is the wor- thinks it's the worst movie on your site, we will talk about it. Uh, but anyway, no, it's it's I'd be way off subject. That would take the courage to admit you have subpar programming on your service dare yeah, I, I guess that's true dare i mean who do they think they are netflix yeah <laughs> if it's frankenstein's army then well that director already hates me so we can <laughs> hey maybe if i'm lucky they actually have pirates of ghost island oh which is for those i don't know if i've ever mentioned on this podcast or not but that is my official pick for the worst movie i've ever seen Okay. It's a 2007 straight to v- DVD. Hmm. It's about, you know, four college kids who end up on an island haunted by ghost pirates, which is a fine plot, but it's just a miserable, miserable, low budget, nothing burger of a movie. Sold. Yeah. Sold. All right. Well, let's. Uh, before- Speaking of terrible pirate movies. Well, no, we're going to go to the news of the moment here. Shit. Never mind. There is no pirate news this week, but. Anyway, that's, all that's right. Good. It's the news of the moment. There he goes. And the throw down and the oh! He's real safe, number 118 for Anderson. Crowd, although they have signs up here for Ricky, are booing the call. This week in 1982, remember Ricky Henderson? We talked I about do. him earlier this summer. Well, he stole his 100th Major League Baseball base, MLB base, of the season in a 6-5 to five win versus Seattle, the first to steal 100 twice in the modern era. All right. Uh, also, that same day, his good buddy Roger Ebert started Movie News on ABC's FM network. Thing would come uh, of that. Right. Uh, more baseball. On August 4th, outfielder Joel Youngblood becomes only Major League Baseball player to get hits for two different teams in two different uh, two different teams in two different cities on the same day. So he got 
singles for the Mets in Chicago in a day game, and then he was traded to the Expos, and they were playing in Philly that night. He played in that game and got a couple singles in that game. Yeah, that what's is, his name again? His name is Joel Youngblood. Uh, I should know that. My the, dad probably knows that. The 80s movie called Youngblood was about hockey. <laughs> I do remember that, too. With Rob Lowe. No, and my, my father is the sports stats the way I am to box office gotcha. stats. Gotcha. Yeah, but this was so. insane. I was like, I can't ignore it. Like, there's a lot of sports stats that happen in the week, and I wade through to see which ones are like really nifty. This is one of the neatest ones I've ever heard in my life. Like, this guy <laughs> played for two teams in a day. That's ended well. Uh, okay. Next, on August 5th, Stephanie Hicks of Alabama. She was crowned Miss National Teenager. Uh, I, I don't know what this pageant is, but it's teen-ager. Not like teenager. Spider hyphen man. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what, te- if you know of that, if you knew anyone in one of those ager pageants, I don't know. On August 5th, we got more nuclear tests. This time, the... Uh, the U.S. at a Nevada test site. Love those nuclear tests. All summer long. Hot boy summer. Right? <laughs> is that what it is? Oh. On August 6th, WQXI in Atlanta is the first to use Harris Core AM stereo system. So two different things out of two different channels in your AM talk radio. So you could hear one person over here and then another person over there. And that's what you would do. Uh, on August 8th, at uh, the PGA Championship Men's Golf Southern Hills, Ray Floyd wins his second PGA Championship by three shots from fellow American Lanny Watkins. Cool. Indeed. All right. Our deaths for the week. People who decided not to be with us anymore after uh, this week in 1982. Actress Kathleen Nesbitt. She was 93. As I like to say, gone too soon. You said it about me. I always sorry. I these uh, on social media when you see someone like over the age of eighty and it's like oh, it's like folks. I don't. They must be people in their twenties, but it's like dudes. You get to a certain age, eighty is going to be begging for death. No, not begging for death, but you're going to see that. It's not guaranteed age. Not even close. So. Just saying. That's my my joke is not on the person; it's on the people that do that. Um, Hungarian composer Rudolf Maros at sixty five. See, uh, that's a little young. And American architect Bruce Goff passed away this week. Birthdays this week: people born the opposite of the death. Grady Sizemore, baseball player, uh, model Adrienne Curry, and track and field star Lolo Jones, all born. This week in 1982, and you know what that means? Scott and I are older than them. Oh, yes. And we're older than them. Seniority. (laughs) Seniority. All right. Speaking of seniors, our first film is The Pirate Movie. Only one movie will have this sound. And only one movie will have Christy McNichol and Christopher Atkins singing. Nothing's gonna stop us if we just believe. 
loving, laughing, leaping, and swinging their way through time in the biggest, most original movie in a hundred years, The Pirate Movie. Pirate? You mean like walking in the time, buried treasure, hack, flash off with his head and the Jolly Richard and everything? Rid me of these villains and Mabel's hand is yours. Movie. It's more than a musical. Man, I'm older than the Beatles, but I'm younger than the Rolling Stones. It's more than an adventure. And it's definitely more than a pirate movie. I want a happy ending. Pirate movie. It's more movie than ever before. Not bad. Directed by Ken Anakin. Nah, that's a name you don't trust. No, uh, Anakin, no! Ken Anakin! Tell them to take off! Uh, yeah, it does sound like Liam Neeson saying, Ken Anakin. But he directed- He's going to be expelled from the Jedi Order for this one, let right, me tell you. Right, right. Uh, this guy, he directed Swiss Family Robinson, The Longest oh. the longest Day, Battle of the Bulge, Call of the Wild, and the new adventures of Pippi Longstocking. So he actually, I mean, I, forgive me for not doing my research. Career. He yeah. knew what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, it stars Emmy Award winner Christy McNichol. Blue Lagoon star Christopher Atkins. So the Blue Lagoon people, they got knocked off this summer. They're all back here. We had we had uh, Blue Lagoon. We had the director of it. We had, And now we have one of the stars from it. And uh, Win a Date with Ted Hamilton and Bill Kerr starring in this movie. The crew of a large ship sail the high seas encountering other pirates from other ships. The boy from the ship ends up having to save his girlfriend who is kidnapped by a bunch of pirates other pirates this was an australian production brought on over to the united states it cashed in on the central park and broadway success in 1980 and 81 of the productions of pirates of panzance which this is based on and that stage play repopularized pirates and swashbuckling adventures in the theater setting not movie theater but like the live theater setting uh this one um you know what? Before I get to some of these stats here, Scott, what do you think of the pirate movie? It makes Greece too look like Greece. That's perfect. Um, no, I was I had never seen this picture, although I had loosely heard of it. And I was aware that it would often make the lists, you know, this is back in the 80s and 90s of, you know, the worst movies ever made. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about that because we've actually watched a couple of those this summer, mm-hmm. you know, Grease 2 and Zap specifically. Right. And I, as much as I don't like Grease 2, at least that knows what it's doing and gets to its destination as intended. I just don't think it's a good picture. And I don't think it's what it's doing particularly as a value and works. This is just, an, I'm, I'll do respect, an abomination. It's not a straight adaptation of the Pirates of Penzance, which you think it would be. Right. Or just, you know, it's, it's, it has this weird, this framing device involving a young girl who gets knocked out and lose, you know, goes into like a glorified dream sequence. Right. 
And so none of the present tense adventure means much because we know it's a dream. And, you know, whatever. Same thing with The Wizard of Oz. But at least there you don't know for sure that it's a dream. Right. But the songs, I don't know offhand. I didn't recognize them in terms of being from Pirates of Benzance. I assume some of them are. Some of them are not. I'm sure you'll correct me one way or another. The performances are stilted and unengaging. The action is cluttered and uninvolving. The film looks bright. It looks polished. It looks big. The actors don't have a ton of screen presence. And it's just a random hodgepodge of generic pirate tropes in the service of nothing of much value. <laughs> I was shocked how not into this I was. Yeah. It doesn't uh, invite you to be into this at all. Like, it has the goods to maybe be a good, uh, a solid film. Like, it's there. there's fun, like, sets that look like they could yeah, somebody maybe under the hands of some uh, less workman director or something they could have made some fun with this but like there, there's a ship i mean it's not even like a stagey kind of fun like the prince the princess bride does well on this where it looks like it's supposed to look like old you know old timey errol flynn sets and stuff but it makes good and has fun with it all this doesn't know what it's doing with all that and i i have to think part of the problem here is Ted Hamilton, the, the mm-hmm. guy that plays the, the 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 white-haired pirate with all the muscles, guy is a producer on this, okay? He cashed in to try to hurry this film up, do something with it before someone else, but he produces it, and he stars in it, and he puts himself in the role of the Pirate King, and also has all these scenes where he's like flexing his muscles and all sorts of stuff, and I have to think that he was... He's part of the reason this movie sucks. Like, yeah, he seems like to be far more focused on himself and making sure the film focuses on itself, and it's not his film. And he's supposed to be, you know, like, you know, when you're doing the first Pirates and you have Jack Sparrow, you know he's a scene stealer, but you don't feed into it too much. You let it. Yes. Just, you want people to ask for more. Well, you get more without knowing you were ever going to want it from this guy. Yeah. And the other issue I would say is compared to something like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean or The Princess Bride, mm-hmm. or even, you know, just to throw it out there, I like Cutthroat Island. I think it's fun. Um, Thank you. I like uh, Scott. This is why we are friends. <laughs> yep. Renny Harlan. This film does not create interesting and compelling characters. Mm-hmm. It relies on the abstract notion of here's a pirate. You know, King, here's a damsel, here's a, you know, Luke Skywalker type pirate, whatever. And it just counts on the abstract to procure our interest versus crafting specific engrossing characters of their own accord. Mm-hmm. Whether you not know what's being, whether or not you know what's being riffed upon in the Princess Bride, those characters are very memorable. They're played yeah. by good actors who are, you know, very good at doing that kind of swashbuckling adventure. You know, there's a reason Carrie Elwells became a sort of a, I don't know if he was, I'm not going to say he was a superstar, but, you know, he worked steadily for the last 30 some years. You know, there's a reason, you know, Montoya became sort of a pop culture icon to the point where even people who have never seen The Princess Bride could probably quote his, you know, right. his, his sacred oath. That was a film that did the work in creating a film that worked regardless of your interest in the genre. And something like Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, 
you know, regardless of your interest in the IP in that case, you know, Gore Verbinski and, and, and the, the screenwriters, uh, Terry and the Rocio, I, I apologize. The guys that wrote Shrek and Mask of Zorro. So they were on mm-hmm. for, run for a while. You know, Jack Sparrow is a compelling character. Orlando Bloom's uh, Will Turner is a compelling character. Orlando Bloom is very good at that kind of swashbuckling. You know, I would put him alongside, uh, you know, Brendan Fraser as someone who does that kind of thing very well. And frankly, one of the problems with a lot of the late 2000, early 2010 would-be fantasy movies is you had actors that, all due respect, people like Jake Gyllenhaal and Taylor Kitsch, that were not that good at that kind of thing. And that was a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what separates, you know, Prince of Persia from Pirates of the Caribbean. But getting back to this film, I mean, there's, there's, it's an idea for a movie that never bothers to make the movie itself compelling. They didn't have, they, the problem is like, there wasn't one person hired on this that had any creative inkling to make it work. Yes. Like, it's all a lot of, like, there's some sword clanging and chandelier swinging scenes in this that I'm watching and being like, why am I not having fun? You know, why is this not, this is, I love this shit. Why is it not working? And then it has no idea what the hell, like, there's, there is just like thrown at a wall stuff that starts happening in this movie. There's an animated sequence with cartoon fish and stuff underwater. And then it turns into like a hot shots movie towards the yeah. end with a bunch of like Inspector Clouseau shows up. There's a part where they're fighting and you hear a voice to say, use the force. And one of them turns into a lightsaber. Indiana Jones shows up for a fucking gag. Like it's like literally like it's the gunshot gag from Indiana Jones, and I'm like, when did this? When did we turn into like a airplane or you know, airplane didn't even do it this direct. Well, this is uh, more like the the Friedberg and and Seitzer flicks. Yeah. Um, and if I mispronounce their names, I apologize. Let me look yeah. that up really quick. Epic movie directors. Like I I I'm just like you know yeah Jason Friedberg and and Aaron's. Seltzer, mm-hmm. who I will say made one good movie called uh, Best Night Ever is cute. It's about four women that get mugged during a bachelorette party and have to sort of make their way through the city by them, you know, with peril. Um, it's not amazing, but it's it's enjoyable anyway. Um, but yeah, this this reminded me of that kind of spoof. And it's, it's weird, especially coming off of, you know, Young Doctors in Love a couple of weeks ago. It was clear that Hollywood didn't really know how to make an airplane movie. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because it was like, you know, it's like these films that kind of are serious, but they have weird ass gags in them. So it's like, is this a spoof or is this just really bad jokes? And, you know, it really, I mean, I would argue the only ones that were really successful in that genre, at least in the 80s, were the Zucker, Abram Zucker team. Yeah. They're separately or together with Top Secret. Uh, the naked, which wasn't a hit, but whatever. Nope. Uh, the Naked Gun and the Naked Gun trilogy and the Hot Shots films, mm-hmm. and it's it's weird that they basically invented. I don't want to say invented a genre, but basically, yeah, mm-hmm. almost invented a genre. But they were really the only ones that could do it right. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, there's a reason certain people can do what they can do, and the knockoffs don't ever, yeah, don't ever work. Um, yeah, th- I. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. I mean, okay. I'll, I'll get. I'll be. I'll say something nice. Say something nice. I kind of didn't mind the dad song here when he first came <laughs> in. 
the Eagles yeah. of Boomer. He was okay. It had a little speedy kind of ooh yeah, like this is fine. Christy McNichol tries, bless her. Yeah, she tries, and you can see that she's she has something to offer. It's just not this movie at all. I didn't understand the ending to this movie, Scott. Did you? No. So like this is okay. The as we said, real quick recap. Girl with awful stepsister supposed to go on some trip, has a crush on some instructor guy that's going to be on this ship thing. She gets knocked out, has this dream about this where the instructor guy is the de facto hero in this that she gets a hooks up with. And then when she finally decides, oh, I control this and I can wake up from my dream, she does. And that guy is there and she's like, I don't know you or something. He's like, it's not like you think it is. And then they get married and I don't under, like, they didn't know each other at all. And I like, what, what the fuck? I, I, I granted, I probably shouldn't be asking these questions, but I was lost. I was like, did I, what? They never talked to each other. Like, no, till I, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a hasty attempt to make a love at first sight ending that still kind of sort of respects the mm-hmm. truth of her dream sequence. Yeah. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. It's so, so, I mean, yes, it was all a dream, but in a skewed way, that dream still did have consequences. Yeah. That's the best I can come up with. Thank you, Scott, for decoding it's not that much. for me. Uh, it, yeah. This movie is bad. It was Scott. Nominated for nine Razzies. Um, as much as I don't particularly enjoy the Razzies as an organization, yeah. at least I can say they got this one right. Yep, I, I I don't either. But I was just like, okay, so it it wasn't good. <laughs> um, and the, but to to say something, the Razzies have actually the founder has stated that this is one of the. 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made. So he said something kind about it. Enjoyable is a stretch. I don't get that. I, I watch <laughs> a lot of like, ha ha ha, they're actually good, bad movies. I won't be popping this one in again ever. Like, I, mm, none of the song, like the songs are not, the, it ends on, no. a, it ends on the same song that plays in massage parlors across the nation. Give me a happy ending. That's, that's <laughs> and no, these are not the same songs as Pirates of Penzance, which no. I it just I haven't seen that in so long, and honestly, I didn't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this one is a stink burger. I no, I, I would not say it was one of the most enjoyably bad movies because I don't I didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah, I yeah, it I was. Mean, I mean, you can't find it anywhere. It's just I was like, oh. Man, this has been hidden, and for for reason, like this. This is the reason, um, along with you know uh, Rowan Belansky's Pirates, and commercially speaking, Cutthroat Island, that Pirates of the Caribbean: Curse of the Black Pearl was considered such a risk in summer 2020, 2003, oh, yeah. because everybody assumed pirate movies were kind of cursed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I'm not going to. You know, it's there are many reasons why Curse of the Black Pearl did as well as it did. And again, it's it's arguably another example. It's mm-hmm. not what you do; it's how you do it. Yeah, they basically remade the first Star Wars, paced it like. And again, I I rewatched the first Pirates two years ago during COVID, mm-hmm. and it's I still quite enjoy it. But it kind of strikes me now as 
the equivalent of an overlong live action remake of a Disney animated film that never was. Yeah. Yeah. In that, you know, it is a long movie. It's a little redundant. They go to the same, you know, the cursed cave location twice in the entire, in the film, but it does feel in terms of an attempt to pad out a, you know, 90 minute animated adventure to, you know, two hours and 10 minutes. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those funny retroactive things. Like we talked about the road warrior and Mad Max earlier this year, where it's like the first Mad Max plays like a, unnecessary prequel yeah. to you know but it's genuine yeah. um that's yeah that's basically yeah pirates i would agree with you on that i i, I watched it recently too because they put out the uh 4k ultra hd of it in that time uh frame you're talking about so yeah um I would, yeah i would say that too but yeah do, any last words for the pirate movie before we ever we never ever talk about it again and we move on with our lives uh, Cutthroat we, Island is good. Yeah, Cutthroat Island is good. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's it's. I don't think it's that much of a hot take. It just most people haven't seen it. Yeah, I I love that Reddy Harlan run he has from yes. like Die Hard two to, to through there. He's good night. I think one one yeah Deep one, Blue Sea because he Blue, one of the was, best action directors of the nineties in that pure yeah. action in that pure action mode. He had somewhat of a his own thing. He had you know inklings of like a john woo but with american sensibilities too with which i don't know if he'd have been inspired by john woo because they were kind of coming up around the same time so yeah they were they were I mean, it's he's you know he's one of those directors that brought a certain european sensibility to the american action mm-hmm. picture right um along there with you know obviously paul verhoven and was, was john mctiernan american is he british what where's he from uh, i think he's american okay whatever it, the, I, I, anyway but yeah, it's 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 that movie is a good pirate picture, and nitpicks notwithstanding, the first three Pirates of the Caribbeans are very good pictures. The fourth one's abysmal. The fifth one's okay. Um, McTiernan's a straight up Yankee. He was born in New York. Fair enough. For some reason, I always when I when I watch Die Hard, I think, oh, this has a European sensibility to it. Okay, that's it. Um, that's, maybe that's maybe that's Jean de Bont. Yeah, that's Jean de Bont. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Well. Rest in peace, pirate movie. Walk the plank with you. We might tweet some things, but then we'll move on. We'll move on. Pirate movie, just sorry. I will spend the rest of my life forgetting you. Sunday on Alice, will Donald O'Connor help Vera tap her way to a world record? And on the Jeffersons, can Louise put some spark into George's sagging ego? Then it's those two detectives, Cagney and Lacey. In Saving a Little Girl, they discover that her family may be covering up the disappearance of another child. Superb Entertainment Sunday. Instead of going to the pirate movie this weekend in 1982, you could have sat at home and watched TV this week. And here's what America decided to watch. The top 10 shows in the Nielsen ratings. Number one, of course, it's MASH on CBS. We're getting our wish. It's starting to hit the number one a lot more often. <laughs> number two, Too Close for Comfort on ABC. Number three, The Jeffersons on CBS. Number four, Trapper John MD on CBS. Number five, 60 Minutes on CBS. Number six, Three's Company on ABC. Number seven, House Calls on CBS. Number eight, Heart to Heart on ABC. Scott, Fantasy Island's back. It's number nine yes. ABC. And number 10, Alice on CBS. And I, we've been talking about 
how our shows are likely reruns and stuff like that, but we're going to be edging into some of them maybe being premieres by the end of this, which is kind of fun. But yeah, so that is our top 10 Nielsen's for this week. Um, as we're rounding into August, like there's some shows I've noticed have been quite popular and uh, I didn't realize like too close for comfort. And like stuff that people would like for like moved on, forgot, never been even thought of reboot, like too close for comfort. Trapper John's been in there a lot. Heart to heart. Alice has popped in here and there, but like, yeah. These are shows that no footprint, no lasting memory, like crazy. Crazy. It's just yeah, interesting to me. Out there. The memories. The madness. The music. The movie. The wall. We don't need no education. No dark sarcasm in the classroom film is Pink Floyd The Wall uh, directed by Alan Parker uh, written by Roger Waters starring Bob Geldof Bob Hoskins, Eleanor David and Jenny Wright a confined but troubled rock star descends into madness in the midst of his physical and social isolation from everyone uh, Alan Parker no dummy uh, Bugsy Malone, Midnight Express Fame he also had Shoot the Moon in 82, Angel Heart, uh, Mississippi Burning, the Commitments, Evita, Angela's Ashes. His last movie was Life of David Gale. Uh, oh, 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 that is a tragedy. Yeah. I mean, at least Road to Wellville is kind of amusing. Yes. I, okay, I'm going to start this with a little story about young Brandon in sixth grade. I did not know of Pink Floyd at the time. Uh, was, like, I, I don't think I really... My, my parents were big music people or whatever. I discovered music on my own for the most part. I was, embarrassingly enough, in sixth grade, and I was sitting at my desk, and I said, well, if you're going to... I told my teacher, I, raised, I was like, if you're going to like write on your school desk and stuff, like, and, you know, graffiti your desk, you might as well, like, check yourself your grammar and stuff before you write on it. And he goes, what's it say? And I said, 
We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. <laughs> and he's like, that's correct. And I was like, no, it's not. And a couple other students are laughing. He's like, he's like, it's lyrics to a Pink Floyd song. That was my <laughs> first instance. I think I knew the name Pink Floyd, but I really didn't know. I heard songs, but I didn't know them attached to Pink Floyd, and I didn't really know The Wall at the time. That was my introduction to Pink Floyd, The Wall. And then I found out, like, oh, it's just awesome movie. You got it. It's uh, all this stuff. I didn't check it out for a long time, but um, that's my introduction to Pink Floyd, The Wall. Sixth grade Brandon, written on a desk, says aloud, and embarrassed, ridiculed. So, Scott, what did you think of Pink Floyd, The Wall? Uh, I, this is the first time I've seen it all the way through. I mean, obviously, I was aware of it just through cultural osmosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I was... And, you know, again, everyone's got their favorites, you know, in terms of in terms of stylized narrative rock albums turned into a psychedelic movie. I was generally team Tommy for no, I'm just, you know, I got into it at an earlier age. I enjoyed the album. Mm-hmm. The pinball machine based on pinball wizard is probably the best pinball game I've ever played. Although it's very, for obvious reasons, it's not you know super popular now. It's hard to find at arcades, but it's, it's fantastic. Uh, this is, I was impressed at how, much this worked as a movie to be frank mm-hmm. i mean yeah there are psychedelic flourishes here and there for obvious reasons but it's also a pretty on point if not on the nose examination of you know post world war ii or even post vietnam war to a certain extent the extent that you know obviously that was america's folly more or less but you know in, in, in the early days of thatcher the disillusionment of the british youth Mm-hmm. The idea that after World War II, that was supposed to be the, the the great, you know, the last great war, and then we'd have peace, and then we immediately got into the Cold War. And, and again, these are not shocking ideas. You know, I mean, Billy Joel wrote a song about and it. And you know, acor- according to my, uh, to my history teacher in Midwest school and middle school or whatever, the, the Vietnam conflict, it wasn't a war. Because what was that? The Vietnam conflict. Oh. Because it wasn't a war. Because well, we fucking right. got our ass kicked. No. We haven't declared war since World War II. Right. Um, and, you know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of story, it's pretty cut and dry. Young, you know, young man grows up disillusioned and in a, you know, in a broken family. You know, his father dies very early in the war. Mm-hmm. And he's, I think, an infant. And he grows up to be a, you know, disaffected rock star who becomes very disillusioned by the more commercial slash pageant pageantry aspects of fame and fortune again none of this is rewriting the book in terms of you know even musical narratives i would say mm-hmm. but a this was 40 years ago and this kind of thing was not run of the mill and i think as a film i think it still holds up yeah i think i, I was very you know i very compelling you know i'm thinking I, I i wish i had seen this for the first time in a theater yeah it probably be um, good. Like a mid, it's a definitely midnight screening movie yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think it debuted at the Cannes Film Festival at midnight in nineteen eighty two. Okay, so as someone without a huge, fan, you know, I don't want to say interest because that implies disinterest, but I'm not a I'm not a big Floyd junkie. I never yeah. grew up. You know, it's 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 you know, I grew up with Queen. That was my you know seventies second you know against the system rock band. Yeah. Um. I. You know. I. I. I knew, let me put this. Way, I knew Bohemian Rhapsody was before Wayne's World. 
There you go. Oh, I mean, yeah. oh, I was gonna ask no, no, go ahead. if you want to put on Wizard of Oz to Dark Side after this. <laughs> but even that being said, as a very casual observer, I was very mm-hmm. impressed at what this film was in terms of sort of re- you know, in a world where this kind of storytelling, this kind of abstract art house musical storytelling and political screed wasn't as you know, I'm not going to say it invented the wheel because Tommy was actually earlier. That was 1975. Right. But it still was doing remarkable things with the form of cinema. And I can see why it was so well received among critics in 1982, which mm-hmm. it mostly was. Well, I mean, political message being, you know, I get it, all that stuff nowadays, it still feels punk rock today. Like, it's yeah. still. We've diluted our filmmaking so much now. I mean, because there's just so much more content that this thing still, uh, that it's it's edits, it's camera movements, it's abstract nature is still just as fresh today. Watching it as as it would have been in '82 and whatever age you pick it up at, and it's it's unapologetic, and it's in your face, and it never lets you truly relax even like the calm the little uh, calmer scenes have something eerie to them or something to not make you so comfortable and it doesn't sit around for like two and a half hours either this is a quick movie oh no, this is a 95 minute picture it, it's only as long as the music goes and the music runs pretty good it fits it's it doesn't feel out of place ever and I, I, I feel like Pink Floyd Roger Waters or something MTV was just coming around. Here we're still in the early advent of MTV, and I feel like he said, "Why, why just do five minute songs? What if we did a whole album and did you know a story?" And I think that's a challenge more so than Tommy was, even though Tommy was probably there for him to draw from in a well. But I, I feel like that would probably be the screen because I don't think I'm not sure Pink Floyd even had music videos uh, in the early days of MTV. I bet this was their like you know what, screw that. Do every song is important. Every song is a video. And we're going to have what just the album gets the video. Um, I can see that as a concept. Um, yeah. And it's it's awesome because it's prog rocky where it is a, it's a concept album that has reprises, theme, themes, things come back to and everything. It's most known for like, you know, we, you know, the another brick in the wall part two. Um, but it's fun to see it build through part one and then come back later, you know. I, I like those things. I like looking at this movie. There's a lot of like a lot of vaginal animations, suggestive vaginal animations in this movie, like all over yeah. the place. Like that's the one weird that's the one part that's kinda eh, icky uh, a bit, but I get no, it's I, a I, guy I, being I scared it. of the you know, vagina. I right. Get that. I get it. I get it. Um but it's it's nice, it's trippy. Um and it's it it's not all trippy in a sense, it's just like of <laughs> obscure shot compositions and weird things it's got some it's got a lot of normal things that feel uh, like off off a little bit um without trying too hard yeah it, it's a it's a fascinating movie um i don't know if it's a favor of mine or anything like that but and i might admire it more than i do like purely enjoy it but it's it's one to check out if you've always been curious and never seen it it's check off the list easily i have to say maybe this is because of its music video sensibility and the extent to which 
you know, Hollywood cinema went through a nineties era where, you know, the new auteurs or music video directors, mm-hmm. Bay, Fincher, et cetera. It feels a lot more modern than a lot of the films that we've watched for this podcast. It does. Yeah. It's way ahead of its time. Um, I mean, it's got a, it's got a Bafo director on it too. This was a good pairing to go uh, here at the time. Uh, and no- nowadays you'd see the, the musician try to direct it themselves. That's what you would you'd yeah, see. Yeah, quite possibly. But yeah, as, as, as an artifact, I think it still holds up. Mm-hmm. Partially because, unfortunately, you know, socially and politically, we've learned nothing and are stuck in a flat circle. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's like what George Lucas you know, said about the Star Wars prequels when people asked if they were George W. Bush parables. And I'm paraphrasing here. It's like, well, kind of. I based the you know, I based it off of Nixon. It's not my fault you guys did it again. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. And so, like, it's like, why are we doing, like, so many steps backwards, folks? Why? Why the leap back? I, I don't understand. Um, With this, though, too, like, making it today, I don't know if anyone would have the restraint to go full in on the music and the album stuff. And there would, like, Bob Hoskins is in this. I don't even think he's got a line of dialogue, really. I mean. No. I was shocked uh, to see him. Yeah, and like I, I feel like today they'd be, can we break and have people talk? Can we do the, you know, there would, or at the end it wouldn't just hold it to the end, just finish. There'd be like the little, <laughs> like the artist that movie, uh, which I don't think is this travesty that people have thought it it was. It's a cute little movie, but they break a couple times. They don't go all in with the silent film. And that kind of irked me just a hair, but I'm like, eh, I get it. But uh, like Ty West, when he made, um, it's just a movie I always respect the hell out of, House of the Devil. He went all in. This is an 80s movie from start to finish. I don't break. (laughs) I don't change. I want someone to mistake this for one down the road, pick it up on accident, think it is one. The artist can't do that. It won't uh, quite get there. But um, this movie's all in, and I don't think like that. Today, someone could could do that. Someone could get all the artist is one of those movies that, if it hadn't won Best Picture, probably would be a lot more respected today. Oh yeah, yep. Because as a movie, it's it's, it's interesting. It's well made. It has you know it has something to say about you know the evolution of the entertainment industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But because it's it's you know it won Best Picture, and that was sort of seen as sort of a win for generic comforting nostalgia. Then yeah. you know, I, I think you know its its reputation has been dinged accordingly. That movie was loved up till the yeah. Oscars, just like Crash, the uh, Paul Greengrass, or mm-hmm. not Greengrass. Uh, That's another one. If that had Paul lost Haggis. the Oscar to Broad- Brokeback Mountain, it would not be spoken about with such vitriol. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't like it even back then. Oh, shut the hell up. I think they're both. You know, yeah. My opinion, they're both solid three star yeah, pictures. Right, right. Do I think either of them deserved best picture? Absolutely not. No, but you know, it was, it was, it's funny because I moved to L.A. the summer of Crash, and when I yes. got there, nobody would shut up about Crash. That was a hot movie. Everybody was talking. Like when I was like, I better go see this movie. I wouldn't saw it in the theater, like just because everybody was talking about it so much. Like all around town. Crash, 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 crash. More so summer, than Brokeback. More than Brokeback, too. In a summer where it was very easy to get tickets to, you know, Revenge of the Sith or Batman Begins or Kingdom of Heaven, mm-hmm. my my then roommate and I, we actually got sold out a couple times on Crash. The first yeah. few times we drove up from Studio City to Burbank to buy tickets. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, they're rewriting the story now, but it was... I'm not saying the movie was perfect or I'd like champion it now, but I just remember 
all of a sudden they re- they're rewriting that narrative on it after. Oh, it's because it, it it defeated the critical favorite. Right. The same thing with Dances with Wolves, which yeah. is, but that's you know a freaking fantastic movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, fine. Goodfellas is better. Whatever. You hear that, um, New Earth? <laughs> I don't think he's probably even seen it. I don't know. He's not. And a, honestly, he's not if you don't Costner like Kevin fan. Costner, there's no reason to sit through a three-hour western. You know, Dances with Wolves starring Kevin Costner. Right. You know, just stick with open range, which is basically a supporting role and, you know, is a more, you know, conventional, old school, but very, very good Western. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Pink Floyd, The Wall. This is our crown jewel for this week. By default. In the middle. In the middle by default. This is Casey Kasem on American Top 40 in Hollywood, counting down the 100 top hits of 1982. And now we're up to a song whose title is probably the best known and most often used magic word that man has ever come up with. Legends say it can cast a spell. So also uh, going by default to the Casey Kasem's top 10, the top 40, uh, the 10 of his top 40 this week, starting with number 10, Don't You Want Me is by the Human League has fallen out of there. It knocked out Paul McCartney, did its job. Now it's getting out of here. Uh, number nine, Only the Lonely by the Motels holds strong, same spot. Uh, REO Speedwagon moving up two spots. Number eight, Keep the Fire Burning. Uh, number uh, seven, Air Supplies creeping up with Even the Nights Are Better. Uh, number six, Toto slides down from number two with Rosanna. It's okay, they would go on to win the uh, Grammy for Best Album, so they'll fall. Uh, number five, Hard to Say I'm Sorry by Chicago. It's our song from Summer Lovers. It's going to get to number one. I don't know by the end of the show it gets to number one, but it does get to number one. Number four, Fleetwood Max Hold Me holds and number four. Yes. Uh, number three, Abracadabra by the Steve Miller Band jumps up two spots. John Cougar, not quite the Mellencamp, hurt so good at number two. And I, the Tiger, number one. And the thrill of the fight. And the thrill of the fight. That's number one. I was in a challenge from a rival. Yeah. Who was that rival? Uh, it was Clubber Lang. Hey, good evening, everybody. It's Cheech and Chong. Get down. And Cheech and Chong. Taking the high road all the way to Vegas in search of truth. I feel like we're wearing dresses, man. Beauty. Hey, baby, how's it going? And a piece of the action. We have a very special surprise planned for you. Things are tough all over. Rated R. Coming soon to a theater near you. Speaking of uh, not-so-rivals, Cheech and Chong's Things Are Tough All Over. This is directed by Thomas K. Avildsen, who's the editor on Nice Dreams, Next Movie, and Corsican Brothers, which is a fucking terrible movie. Oh, and assistant director on The Deer Hunter. That's his career. John G. G. I looked forever on that and I could not find it. I'm like, so that would be a that would have been a segue from Survivor. I looked up Christy McNichol to see if she was related to Peter McNichol, but I don't think so. Nope. Uh, Yeah, this was the one. I'm like, Avildsen's not like a common name. Yeah, exactly. And this close, in this proximity, I I couldn't find it. There's no link between those two. So we got two rando Avildsens. Maybe they were cousins and didn't know it. I don't know. Written by Cheech Marin and Tommy Chong. Starring Cheech Marin, Tommy Chong. I'll be like that trailer guy. Cheech Marin, 
Tommy Chong. <laughs> uh, Mike Baccarella. Dave Coulier. But his name was spelled Cool Kualier. There was a W in it. It was C-O-U-W-L-I-E-R. Rip Taylor and George Wallace. Cheech and Chong are hired to drive a limo from Chicago to Las Vegas by two shady Arabs, Mr. Sliman and Prince Habib. Unbeknownst to them, $5 million of dirty money has been stuffed throughout the car. In this year of 82, the National Association of Theater Owners pronounced Cheech and, Tong, Cheech and Chong the comedy team of the decade. It's kind of weird to uh, give that to somebody in 82 when you've got eight years left and looking, they, like, cursed them. That must have cursed them because, uh, where are you at with Cheech and Chong, Scott, before we get to this movie? Honestly, a blind, uh, you're kind of a blind spot for me. I mean, I know what they, you know, I know who they are. I know what they, that they started mm-hmm. in about four theatrical stoner, you know, buddy comedies and from 1978 to 1982. I know that Cheech Marin had comparatively better luck in terms of mainstream success. Mm-hmm. You know, I have seen a few Nash Bridges episodes here and there. Yep. And obviously I know who he is when he pops up in something else, whether it's a uh, Robert Rodriguez right. mm-hmm. picture or whatever. Uh, while Tommy Chong is sort of... Mm-hmm. Comparatively, been on the sidelines. Yeah, he had uh, that '70s show. He had a recurring. That's true. That's yeah. true. But you know, it's 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 you know, I'm aware of them. But I, I this was probably the first full length film that I've seen. Oh, I'm sorry. And, well, to be fair, I I I've been told it's the worst of the four. I had a Cheech and Chong phase when I was in in the '90s. Thought they were funny. Um, I I like Up and Smokes. That's that's considered a Stone Cold classic. I think their following film next movie is better. I, I like that one quite Fair. a bit. Uh, nice Dreams is pretty funny, uh, where they have an ice cream truck. Still Smoking after this one blows. I think, I don't know which is better between these two. At Corsican Brothers, where they try something else. Awful. They got they show up in After Hours by uh, Martin Scorsese uh, and some other places. But yeah, um, by the other day, I don't, I don't think, I'm not as attached to these going back as I was when I was discovering them at all, and I don't really grab for Cheech and Chong comedies, but... Yeah, they they had their play. I think they're you know they've got they're they're a, they're a duo that had a good shtick to last for maybe a movie like two movies, but then they needed to evolve it somehow, and it just never. I don't think it did. And we're this is where we're at the point where it's out of gas. Yeah, and it's a road movie, and it's a road movie. So Scott, what do you think of uh, things are tough all over? I was very bored. And that basically sums it up. You know, I wasn't offended. I, you know, I, yes, there are very problematic characterizations and story mm-hmm. choices, but this is a stoner comedy from 1982. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to wield the pitch forces and storm the castles over this. Yep. But aside from that, as someone that, honestly, I've never been into, generally speaking, there are exceptions. I've never been into stoner comedy just because I don't think inherently the act of being stoned is particularly funny. And by that, I mean, I think drugs should be legalized. And I think in a skewed way, these kind of portrayals help affirm certain stereotypes about casual drug users. Gotcha. That being said, I think Harold and Kumar go to White Castle is one of the, is maybe the best mainstream Hollywood comedy of the 2000s. Yeah. So there are exceptions. Well, I mean, this, but, was, this was new and fresh and something people weren't showcasing yes. at the time, too. 
granted it got popular so then it became well that's what it is and it's like yeah it's it's not it's just these guys comedy act they're they're just a couple of idiots they just get stoned like they're i yeah. mean they're they're abbott and costello or, or you know laurel and hardy but their their thing is they smoke pot all the time yeah that's it that's it and yeah, and but it's is putting aside my weird political kinks about the genre as it is, you know the worst thing you can say about a comedy is I didn't laugh. Yeah, and the film runs eighty or ninety minutes long, and I didn't laugh. No, I don't no. think I even smiled all that much. No, there's no real um, good. I mean, I, I there's nothing there other than oh, it's it's these these characters slash these actors in a film again partaking in something vaguely resembling a narrative storyline. Well, yeah, and this movie like goes and you're like, oh, and then Rip Taylor shows up like, oh, this is not what we needed right now. This is not it. No. And it's full Rip Taylor stuff. It's like, oh, Jesus. And it's like 90 miles an hour. Like it's it's like we we only have them for like 2 hours, guys. Get get it all. Like it's whoo. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have that much to say yeah. about this other than I'm coming at it from somewhat of a cultural blind spot because I haven't seen any of their previous pictures. Right. I will be generous and assume that the other ones are better. You know, yeah. up in smoke and you know, I don't I don't think you. they're going to enamor you at all. I'll go back. But they, they would they are better than this. Um, this yes. is considered the first bad, bad one. And, uh, you know, it's honest. Yeah, the. The Prince Habib uh, guys, those are, it's funny to see these, I mean, they're being done by Latino guys. So it's like, it's not two white dudes, you know. This isn't quite white face, but it still just doesn't seem right. The nose and yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. It's it's interesting to see them playing the dual role thing, but I, I don't know. It's charming that their wives are in the movie. Yeah. Um. And that's that's kind of fun. Uh, once again, it goes nowhere every time they show up. Um, yeah, I I don't this this one thing that's notable that I read about this. The big thing that was touted in the marketing for this movie was it's their first drug free movie. That was it. There was the like, cheats and charges. But I'm like, okay, it still talks. They still talk about joints, peyote, getting high. Also, it's rated R. Who fucking cares? <laughs> like, if they were doing some PG thirteen, like we want kids, you know, all eight, uh, or PG, it would have been PG. Yeah, would have been time. PG back then. P- PG, like we want to do some PG so kids can see the cheese and chong, and we could be a generational thing. Fine, but you're doing an R rated comedy. Who fucking cares? And like, this isn't drug free when all you can do is talk about it. Like, yeah, if you hadn't said that, I wouldn't have even cross my mind exactly. to actually do dope on camera. Hey, where's the peyote, man? I don't know. Hey, well, you got the, all the joints, dude. And like, and, and it's that's my terrible Cheech and Chong one man show uh, there. But like, that's I'm like, this isn't drug free when you sit and talk about it all the time. Like, I just go yeah. and smoke a joint on camera. Like, it's. I don't know what the purpose of that marketing tactic was, but I think they were trying to be like, look, we can do, we can be funny without it. I think it was kind of like, you know, when they, when they marketed uh, Richard Donner's assassins, you know, one of the big selling points was Sylvester Stallone only kills one person in the entire movie. Like, (laughs) 
okay. Wonder who that could be. Well, that's the thing. It's like it's it actually throws you for a loop because that was a huge part of the marketing, and yet the opening scene has him apparently killing somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's like, does Banderas get arrested at the end of this film? Does he get away? Or does somebody else kill him? What's going on here? And you know, if you've seen Assassins, you know that opening scene turned out to be a fake out. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's one of those things that yeah, it's kind of curious just because. You know, he's like, you know, this one isn't, you know, it's like, you know, it's a less violent, you know, it's not a less violent movie because Antonio Banderas makes up the difference. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of those, it's like, it kind of makes sense in terms of the movie that he's a guy that doesn't want to kill people anymore. He's very careful not to leave collateral damage, yada, yada, yada. But as a selling point, like, who's going to say, you know, I wasn't going to see Sylvester Stallone's newest action movie, but now that I hear he only kills one person, I'll be first in line. It's like you're, you're preaching to a demographic that doesn't exist. And in this case, you know, who's going to say, well, I didn't like Cheech and Chong movies back when they were smoking on camera. But now that they're not, I'll be first in line. Right. Yeah. Oh, look at this. And, you know, in a skewed way, it's not unlike when you have, you know, violent action franchises that get PG-13s to appeal to the kids that have no interest in those franchises. Mm-hmm. The obvious example being, of course, the Expendables three, which we're going to get a PG thirteen for the kids, and then shock of shop, shock of shock, the kids said, "I don't care about this. I'm going to see Guardians of the Galaxy and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles." Exactly. Or you know, the RoboCop remake that was PG thirteen. Kids go, "I don't care about this. I'm going to see the Lego Movie." Yeah, exactly. They'll go see it anyway. They'll go see whatever anyway. Yeah, you know? and the people that might have showed up if it was you know, an R-rated action adventure picture with all the violence that entails, mm-hmm. a lot of them were like, eh, no, thank you. Yeah. Although ironically, you know, Expendables 3, you know, there's no blood, but it's just as violent as the other two mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, people being killed on screen. The one time that worked was Live Free and Die, or die Hard. Yeah. The, the which PG-13 again was, is, is better than the R. Yeah. And that's also a movie where, you know, a little bit less blood and less profanity aside, it's just as violent as it's probably more violent than Die Hard One and Die Hard Three. Yeah, yeah. Not as Die Hard Two, but you know that movie crashes an entire jumbo jet. Yeah, and shoots um, a guy's knees to bloody oblivion. Oh yeah, that film's well, it's Ready Harlan. Right, yeah. You know, that's that's our boy. When, when Ready Harlan makes an R-rated movie, it's cliffhanger and Die Hard Two, and it's gore galore. Yeah. Um, and even Cutthroat Island has a few bits that sort of press the limit of what was PG-13 safe back then. Right, right. But anyway, that's a digression. Right. So, I, yeah, the end of this movie's bad, too. Like, they are in a theater watching porn of themselves or something. It is one does. boring and dull, <laughs> and it felt like it went forever. Like... Ah, it's just, oh man, this movie. I, I, will, I will leave us, I'll, we'll move on from this with a quote from Variety about the movie. A painful and pallid affair, which reminds of the tired late career efforts of Abbott and Costello. This is early yeah. in the Cheech and Chog run, too. Yeah, bad. But let's see how it fared at the box office. Scott? <laughs> Moving Let on. Let me jump there. Okay, guess what movie was number one? You've got one guess. Uh, ooh, uh, not Pink Floyd, The Wall. No. Not not any of the movies we're talking about this week. And uh, since I know what movies we talk about next week, it's probably one of the Spielberg movies this summer. <laughs> yes, it's E.T. the Extraterrestrial yet again. 
uh, in its ninth weekend of release, earned $9.5 million, dropping just 8%, still playing in 1,568 screens. And I think this might have been the first time it dropped below 10 million. Let me look at that yeah, real quick. Yeah, yep, yep. I think so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this August, CET again. Yeah. Uh, it has earned 187 million domestic so far on its way to a record breaking by a lot, $357 million. There's going to be $359 million. Wait, I think. Or does that the people listening won't believe you? So. Yeah, three fifty nine, and then the nineteen eighty five re release put it to three ninety nine. Okay, okay, I was just um, and then in second place, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas did six point three million, a thirty percent drop across uh, the forty million mark in seventeen days. Mm-hmm. Uh, opening in number third was Times Are Things Are Tough All Over with five point nine million. So people which, wanted to see this movie. Yeah, that's a solid opening for you know basically a two dollar stoner comedy yeah and i, mean, and I don't et I and whorehouse their, aren't close even now so no it, it and, pulled away but i mean i have to assume that's their biggest opening weekend for a cheech and chong movie but i could be mistaken i mean nowadays you could have found change under the cushion to pass whorehouse for number two <laughs> yeah pretty much uh, well that now is a grim stupid time because studios are just not releasing movies in theaters yeah and there's, you know, not to get on a high horse yet again, but it's been a year since A Quiet Place 2 showed that films that would have done well before COVID are still doing well after COVID and during COVID. Mm-hmm. No excuse. Yep. But anyway, Officer and a Gentleman, which we're talking about next week, I believe. I believe, yes, yes. Uh, expanded or remained in 346 theaters in its second weekend of release for a $3.3 million a weekend, going up 0.8% for a $9.8 million 10-day total. And then the pirate movie opened in fifth place with $2.5 million Stunning seven screens. What in the world? Oh, and that film would eventually top out at a $7.98 million. I'm st- it's a bomb. I'm stunned a- it showed in the top five, though. Like, Yeah, well, you know, when oh, you're the like, only game in town. I guess so. Um, and to be fair, I mean... Up until maybe the last 10 years, I mean, it was not unusual to have August have a bunch of smaller scale genre film studio programmers, whatever, right. or, you know, more niche titles. Um, even during the quote unquote blockbuster era kicked off by 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, sixth place, The Unkillable Rocky Three, which made $2.4 million, went up 0.1%. Uh, despite losing 123 theaters, still playing in a thousand theaters, uh, in its 11th weekend release, crossed 100 million domestic. Hmm. I believe it was the second movie to do that after ET. Yeah, because Star Trek didn't do it, and mm-hmm. none of the you know the thing and Blade Runner didn't do it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with that. If somebody's, if I'm wrong, someone will tell me on Twitter. Uh, Night Shift, 2.28 million in weekend two, dropping 10 percent for a 6.4 million dollar 10 day total. Young Doctors in Love, sticking around, earning $2.06 million, dropping 20% in Weekend 4 for a $17.8 million 24-day total. Ninth place is Poltergeist, 1.9, 58.1, Weekend 10, and then in 10th place, The World According to Garp, which earned $1.766 million uh, in 368 theaters for a $10.3 million total. And just for the fun of it, in 11th place, Annie. 
<laughs> with 1.357 million uh, for a 5.4% drop of $44.9 million after 12 weekends in release. A, an objectively solid total, but it's an expensive movie. Mm-hmm. So it was not a hit. I have to say, you know, E.T.'s the story of the summer, but right after that, Rocky Three and Poltergeist just... Yeah, Poltergeist is right. Yeah, yeah. Poltergeist has never... I mean, it is... It's on its way out, but holy crap. Like, yeah. it just rock solid. Everything's and coming and going, and it's just holding in a spot. It's crazy. And I mean, I'm trying to remember, other than The Thing, which came and went, unfortunately... Are there any other big horror films this summer that we've talked about that I've forgotten? Big horror? No, it, it's been. I I wanted to. I was going to bring up at some point, probably in like a reflective looking back for the whole summer, but it's been very light on horror this summer. We yeah. had uh, the like our second weekend, one of our early weekends. We had the house where evil dwells and death scream, but death screams was like a limited release. Yeah. That was a that was like a regional thing, but yeah, house where evil dwells, Boulder guys the thing we've got one next week but relatively light on horror this summer like it's surprising and this is yeah. supposed to be the era where slashers are getting released every weekend it's not true no it's um, not true and poltergeist is a you know it's granted it's big, we're it's, in year three of that so maybe yeah, they're on yeah, the, the wane but we'll, we'll see what summer 83 looks like i mean after and the, after what's the, coming next weekend if i'm yeah. not mistaken well what's coming after what's coming next weekend like paramount decides to cash out of what we're talking about next weekend with oh. their next inst- next installment they wait a year and then try to cash out but then realize the cash is too good and they don't um <laughs> Thanks to a uh, thanks to a razor gloved man, it keeps it all alive in '84. But fair, fair, fair. That's summer. Um, that's that's '84, not '82. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the whole horror is really light here. What and then you, you, got, you know something like Poltergeist, which is it's the only big horror film in town. Mm-hmm. It's very good, and you can take your kids. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. So you know, it's it's all it's a four quadrant picture. Yeah, yo, a six pack uh, in Indiana Jones fell out of the top ten. Sword of the Sorcerer still made a million bucks this weekend. Yes. Still made a million. Give that's, us money so we can talk about it. Yeah, that, that's funny. One of the sort of the movies we've one of the movies we've talked about most consistently isn't even in the summer of eighty two at forty. It didn't even yeah. come out. But it's it's just marvelous to watch this. I will say, well, the horror. We said horrors, and you know what? I I've in reflection here. I'm just gonna say it now. The musical is alive and well at 82 in the summer. Yes. We've had a lot of musicals. I mean, I can think of four just off the top of my head. Grease 2, The Pirate Movie, uh, Annie, Annie, Best Little Whorehouse. The, um, the Wall? Yeah, like, The Wall. Uh, like, there's a That's lot. five musicals. We've had more than, I think there's more than that, too. I think we're forgetting like one or two. Like, we it, probably are. A lot of musicals. Like, crazy. I... I didn't expect that. That's been a surprise, but it's thriving. Like some of them bomb, some of them, uh, but there's a lot of a lot of musicals. Um, and I would say some of the team movies could count as jukebox musical, like Last American oh, yeah. Virgin. Yeah, it's a uh, jukebox rock. Yeah, you have that that subgenre of films that are where the soundtrack is an integral part of mm-hmm. the, at least commercially an integral part of the movie. Um and you know fast Rocky times, three, or, you know yeah Rocky three Jesus yeah like the musical oh. is thriving in this summer so crazy crazy but yeah Indeed. that's it for August six through eight Scott 
Before then, uh, let people know where they can keep up with you. Uh, Forbes.com, the ticket booth. Uh, Google some variation thereof. I'm on Twitter and at Scott Mendelson. And that's where I am. All right. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at braided 4 kuhd Always remember the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Brandon Peters show. Uh, throw some change at us. Get us to talk about Sword and Sorcerer and that little movie where a guy puts his dick through a hole in a shower wall. It's called Porky's. All well, right. So what version of Sword of the Sorcerer did you see? <laughs> That's a sword in the... No, okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Music Video Friday. I believe it's Mike Vanderbilt and I talk about that motel song we talked about in the Casey Kasem. So yeah, next week ahead of us, we have Silly Teenagers, Dead Teenagers, Officers, Gentlemen, Tempest, and that little... Wars spa- Amongst the Stars. That little underdog space movie tries to make a couple extra bucks. So until then, stay film positive. Last summer of 82 at 40. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of 82 at 40 and News of the Moment themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. <laughs> <laughs>